Just after Christmas, about nine years ago, a fight broke out in the church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. Insults, fists and a whole lot of other objects uh, were uh, flew in all directions. Order was only restored after police were called and they rushed into the church with their batons drawn. But the strangest thing about this brawl was that it was between a hundred priests and monks who were fighting over the cleaning rites of this church. This is the church that's built on the site that's reportedly said to be where Jesus was born. I'm not sure if that's the case or not. But it's shared between three different denominations. The Greek Orthodox, the Armenian Apostolic and the Roman Catholic denominations. And each year, priests and monks, dressed in their traditional uh, robes, clean their carefully designated areas. So the, the, the Orthodox have one area, the Armenians have another, and the, the Roman Catholics have another. But that year, a row broke out because one of these men accidentally pushed their broom into an area controlled by another of the groups. And this was seen as a serious infraction because to clean an area is seen as to own that area. And this is not actually the first time that a row has broken out over this church. It's happened many times over the years and even way back in the 19th century, tensions over this church were a factor possibly in the outbreak of the Crimean War. Now, the situation with that building in Bethlehem is pretty unique. But sadly, fighting in churches is not. Arguments and conflict and division has has been a regular part of church life right down through the centuries. And it goes right away back to the very first church, the, the church in the first century. Last week we started to look at Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians. And we saw that Paul called this community of Christians, uh, he called them uh, God's saints. They were God's holy people. They were called by God to belong to him. They were equipped by God to live for him. And they were being sustained by God to remain in him. But this church had serious problems. And the first one that Paul wanted to deal with in his letter was the problem of division. And he wrote to them to be united in Christ. So this morning we're going to read uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 10. Down to verse 17. I I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with each other and not to be split into groups. I beg that you be completely joined together while having the same kind of thinking and and the same purpose. My brothers and sisters, some people from Chloe's family have told me quite plainly that there are quarrels among you. This is what I mean. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Peter. Another says, I follow Christ. Christ has been divided up into different groups. Did Paul die on the cross for you? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. 
I thank God I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that now no one can say you were baptized in my name. I also baptized the family of Stephanus, but I do not remember that I baptized anyone else. Christ did not send me to baptize people, but to preach the good news. And he sent me to preach the good news without using words of human wisdom, so that the cross of Christ would not lose its power. Paul started this section of his letter with a strong appeal for unity. He wanted them to be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now this is clearly a real priority for Paul. That's clear, not just because he he spent the first four chapters of his letter dealing with this problem, but also from the strength of the appeal he made in this verse. This appeal was a loving one. He said, I I appeal to you, brothers. Paul emphasised that he was writing here to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He saw them as the family of God, his Christian family, and he appealed to them to live as a family. He loved them and he wanted them to love each other. But this was not just some brotherly advice that he was giving to them that they could take or leave. This was an authoritative appeal. He said, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again in verse 10. He was making this appeal in the power and the authority of Jesus. And that's because unity is Christ's purpose for his church. On the night before he went to the cross, Jesus prayed for his church, that all of them may be one, Father, just as as you are in me and I am in you. So if these believers were committed to Jesus, if they wanted to honour and obey him in their lives, then this is what they needed to do. They had to be united together in Christ. But what does that mean? What does it mean for a local church to be living together in unity? Well, this doesn't mean that we're called to uniformity. It doesn't mean that we're called all to be exactly the same. Throughout this letter, we'll see that God's plan for his church is unity, but unity in diversity. This church had a diversity of calls. So in chapter 7, Paul talked about some who were called to serve God in marriage and some who were called to serve God in singleness. He says in chapter 7, verse 7, each man has his own gift from God. They also had a diversity on opinions on secondary issues. So in chapter 8 of this letter, Paul wrote about some who were really strong on an issue and others who were really struggling about that issue. And instead of forcing everybody to conform to, to the same opinion, he encouraged the strong to be careful that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block 
to the weak. Then they also had a diversity in gender. And Paul taught in chapter 11 that this should be accepted, that this should be expressed in church. That they should celebrate the fact that there were men and women in this church. Because the head of every man is Christ and the head of, a, of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. They also had a diversity of ministries and spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, Paul asked, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gift of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the obvious answer is no, they don't. Because we're all called to different ministries. We've all been given different spiritual gifts. So uniformity is not God's design. We are not all called to be the same. Our differences are not a problem to God. They're actually part of his plan. Something that will be celebrated in heaven for all eternity. In the book of Revelation, John saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's chapter 7 verse 9 and 10 of Revelation. So you can't really get a more diverse group of people here. In heaven there will be people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. And they're joining together in their diversity. But they're joining together in perfect unity to praise God. And that is what Paul was calling these believers in Corinth to express in their local church. He wanted them to be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now that that phrase, be perfectly united, is a medical term. It describes the, the unity of the human body connected with each other. So just as a healthy human body has many different parts, but they all work together in harmony, so a healthy local church has many different members with different calls and different ministries and different strengths and different weaknesses and, and different roles, but they all work together in harmony to accomplish a common goal and a common purpose. And in order to do this, we need to agree with one another so that there be maybe no divisions among you. We need to agree with one another. To agree with one another is literally to say the same things. This is what Paul said, to say the same things. That means for unity to be possible, there needs to be agreement on what we say. There needs to be agreement in what we hold to be true. Unity 
is not to be formed at the expense of truth. Paul did not believe that this church should be united with everyone and anyone. Later in this letter, Paul called the church to expel the wicked man from among you. That's in chapter 5, verse 13. He they were to expel him because of unrepentant immorality. We'll see the details of that when we get to it. And then in his second letter to this church, he called the church to be separate from the world. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and 14. And then he warned the church in Thessalonica to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. And so some divisions in this world are necessary. Jesus did not come to unite everybody together. Into one big happy family. In fact, he said this in Luke chapter 12 and 51. He said, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. So as followers of Christ, we are called to be distinct from those who reject Christ. We are called to be disconnected from those who refuse to live for Christ. And we're called to keep away from those who do not preach the gospel of Christ, who preach a false gospel. But within the church, within this community of God's people, we are called to reject division. Instead, we're called to be united together in the truth of the gospel that we have received. Together, we're called to be like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, as Paul said in in Philippians chapter 2 and 2. So this is Paul's appeal, the strong appeal. This is God's plan for us, that we will be united together in our diversity because of our love for one another, And our acceptance of the truth. And because of our faith in Christ. So God's desire is that his people will live in unity. But the problem is that we often let other things get in the way of this. And that's what happened in this church in Corinth. Uh, Verse 11 tells us that some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Now these people were presumably uh, members, concerned members of this church in Corinth. And they'd seen the conflict that was growing and they knew it was wrong and they really cared about this. But instead of just keeping that concern to themselves... Or just talking about it to some other people in, in kind of in, in, the, in the background in, in, in small groups, they courageously stood up and they told the Apostle Paul. And they didn't hide behind anonymity. They were willing to be named by Paul here as his witness to this situation. 
And we too are called to address the problems that will arise in our church. Jesus taught the process of this in Matthew chapter 18. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if you will not listen, take one or two others along. And if he refuses to listen to them, take it to the church. So we must not ignore the problems that arise in our church community. Instead, courageously, carefully, lovingly, we need to address them and seek to resolve them. So these people from Chloe's household did really well to bring this situation to Paul's attention. And what he told them was that instead of living out this this wonderful unity and, and heart and mind and purpose and goal, this church was fighting over their favourite Bible teacher, their favourite preacher and leader. They were focused on their celebrity leaders and they were fighting over which one was the best. And sadly, we can see similar kinds of problems in the churches today. Some are saying, I follow Paul. Now, of course, Paul did have a special role in this church. In chapter 4, verse 15, he says, I became your father through the gospel. It was Paul who, first of all, had taken the gospel to this city. And so he obviously had an important place in their hearts. But some people thought their focus should, should still be on Paul. They should continue to be focused on Paul and his ministry. They should be saying, I follow Paul. And in many churches, there are those who are always looking back at the good old days. Who think that never things will never be as good as they were at the start. And they want to kind of keep on going back to those times. But then other people, they said, I follow Apollos. Now Apollos, he was from the university city of Alexandria in Egypt. And he was highly educated and he was a gifted communicator. Acts chapter 18 says he was a a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. And he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately. Later on, he was commended to go to the area where Corinth sat, the, the area around Corinth. And he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. And so obviously some people really loved Apollos and really valued his ministry. But the problem was, they were comparing him to Paul and they were saying, Apollos, he's so much better than Paul. Maybe that was because like the culture of the city of Corinth, They valued things like intellectual ability and eloquence and power. And today I think we see enthusiasts who think in similar kind of ways. 
They're the kind of people who would be really excited about the new uh, best-selling Christian uh, book that comes out. Or they become fans of the latest YouTube preaching sensation. And they look down on everybody who, who either, who doesn't think or speak in that same impressive way. And then there are those who said in this church, I follow Cephas. Now Cephas is just the Aramaic version of the Greek name Peter. So this is the Apostle Peter. This is the disciple of Jesus. This is the one who preached at Pentecost and 3,000 were saved. Now his ministry, in contrast with Paul's ministry, was focused on the Jewish people. This is what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2. I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. So Peter was seen as being having a focus in his ministry on the Jewish people. So maybe the Jewish believers in Corinth thought more highly of Peter than Paul or Apollos. They looked to him for leadership. Maybe it was because they really wanted to hold on to the rules and the rituals of their Jewish background. And there are people today in churches who believe in a more more legalistic religion with stricter rules and and regulations and who criticise people who don't live in that same way. And then there was the last group who simply said, I follow Christ. Now maybe they, maybe they thought they, they were the ones who got it right, because they sounded so hyper-spiritual. They said, we, we don't need any other leaders. We just follow Christ alone. And these days there are purists, who believe that Christians don't need teachers and preachers and leaders and even organised churches. It just should be us and Jesus. We don't need anybody else. Now, I don't think these divisions in this church in Corinth was the fault of any of these leaders mentioned. There's no suggestion that these leaders had tried to produce these personality cults or that they were preaching different messages. Paul, Apollos and Peter were all united in Christ. But people in this church had used those leaders to excuse, to justify their different beliefs and preferences. And they'd formed little cliques around their favourite celebrity leader. And so the end result was that this church was deeply divided. Instead of agreeing with each other and being united in spirit and purpose, they were quarrelling. They were fighting. They were tearing themselves apart. And this was a serious problem. This had to be dealt with. Because as Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Division is a real 
problem, a real difficulty, because it tears churches apart. And they won't fulfill the plan and the purpose that God has for them if they do that. Division is a real problem. So instead of living in unity, this church was tearing itself apart. So how should Paul address this situation? What solution would he bring? Well, Paul developed this in the next few chapters, as we'll go through this this letter. But here he just started by dealing with it with three questions. Three questions that help us to understand the basis of our unity. They teach us that what unites us together as believers is much stronger than what what might separate us. So first of all, the first question was, is Christ divided? Verse 13. And of course, the answer to the question is no. Paul, Apollos and Peter, they all preach the same Christ because there is only one Lord. And so if we are in Christ, then we are united together in him. This is what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're united together in one Lord. Second question, again in verse 13, was, is Paul crucified for you? Was Paul crucified for you? And again, of course, the answer is no. There's only one saviour. Only one person who took upon himself our sin and died in our place. And it wasn't Paul or Apollos or Peter or any other preacher or teacher or leader. As Peter declared before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's only one saviour. And then lastly, verse 13 again, were you baptised into the name of Paul? And again, the answer is no. To be baptised into the name of someone is to have our life signed over to that person. It's to become their disciple. It's to come under their authority. But Paul didn't baptise anybody into his name. In fact, he was so keen to make sure that nobody misunderstood this, that usually he didn't do baptisms. He said he focused instead on preaching the gospel. Verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, he doesn't mean that he doesn't believe in the importance of baptism. Not at all. It just means that he left it to somebody else to do. Apart from Crispus and Gaius. And then he remembers also the household of Stephanus that he nearly forgot about. So these believers in Corinth, they had been baptised into the name of Christ. So they belonged to Christ. 
And because of that, they've been brought into the church. Because the church is the body of Christ. This is what Paul wrote later in in this letter, in chapter 12, verse 13. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. So this is why these believers should not divide over their favourite leader or their own preferences or their opinions or beliefs or on any other issue. God had brought them together into one body through their faith in one Saviour so that they could live to honour the one true Lord. God had united them together as the church of God. And so now they were called to live that out in their everyday lives. As we saw last week, the Christian life is not about trying to become something that we are not. Rather, the Christian life is simply living out who we already are in Christ. So this appeal, this passage, is not trying to make us form an artificial An artificial unity between people who are essentially different. Rather it's simply an appeal to live out the reality of what God has already done in our lives. Through our faith in Jesus and his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us together into the community of his holy people. Jesus has done this. He has united us together. And so this morning, let us refresh our commitment to live out this unity and to keep this unity and to express this unity in our church and with all of the other true believers in Jesus as well. So that we may honour the one, the one who loved us and the one who gave himself for us. Let's be united in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you this morning that we can celebrate uh, the unity that we have in Christ. Yes, Lord, we are so different, Lord. We're such a a group of diverse people, Lord. We're all different ages, from different backgrounds, uh, different genders, different uh, personalities, uh, different preferences, different ideas. And yet, Lord, you have united us together in Christ. You have brought people who who are completely different and yet you have brought us together to be connected together into the body of Christ, into your church, so that we together are connected together. We are members together of the one body. And we thank you, Father, for this. 
We thank you that, that, that what unites us together, what holds us together, is so much stronger than what separates us. Thank you that we are united in Christ. Thank you that we are united in the, in the, in our one Savior, the one who died for us on the cross to pay for our sins and to rescue us and bring us to himself. And that we've been baptized into that one body so that we can live together with that one common purpose and goal to honor you and to live for you and to celebrate who you are and to share the message of you with this world. Lord, thank you for, for what you have done in our lives. And you, we pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to make sure that nothing would get in the way of that. That we wouldn't allow any of our differences or our ideas or our personalities or our favourite uh, passage or our favourite speaker or our favourite idea. We not let, not let any of that divide us and separate us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to to do whatever we can to keep the unity within the body of Christ that you have formed. And, Lord, we don't just pray that for our uh, little church, Lord. We also pray that you'd help us to express that unity with all of our true believers, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. All of those who have trusted in Jesus and accepted Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. Help us to respect them and honour them, Lord. Help us to make sure that we don't speak wrongly of them but only speak of them in love and with grace. So, Father, thank you so much for the unity that you have formed between us. And we just pray that you help us to live that out so that we might honour the one who loves us and who died for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.